0: Will you pray with me, please? God, we love you. You make it abundantly clear to us that you love us. The Father, fill us with you and your spirit. God, may we be more like Jesus because we are a part of the church. God, may we be a brighter light in the world because we came together as the church to worship you, to give you the attention and the glory that you're due. God, thank you for the power of the cross and your great love for us. God, even while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. God, we can never really fathom that. We're going to try, though. God, thank you so much for your love and for your comfort and for your peace. God, teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a restaurant in California that has a standing challenge to all of the customers. Every day when the chef comes in, Um, He goes out before them, and he gets this lemon, and he squeezes it into a jar, and he gets out every single drop out of the lemon. And what he always says to the customers is that if you can get even one more drop out of this lemon, you get the $1,000 prize. And over the years, certainly lots of different people tried it, construction workers and great big strong bodybuilders, and moms have to hold on to kids that are always trying to run away, that have a, a death grip on things. Everybody tried to get another drop out of the lemon, but they couldn't. Until this one day, this scrawny guy in a polyester suit with thick glasses walks in, and he says, hey, I'd like to try that. And what's everybody do? Well, they laugh at him. Well, what he does is he, he grabs a lemon, and he, he goes over to it, and he squeezes it. He gets out six more drops out of that limit. And the laughter went to cheering and everybody was excited for this guy who'd won the challenge. So the owner goes back and he gets the thousand dollar prize and he tells the guy, he says, I don't mind giving this to you, but you got to tell me, what do you do for your living? Are you a a professional arm wrestler? Like, what do you do? He's like, well, well, no. He said, I work for the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) This time of year, especially numbers matter. The number 32 is a pretty important number to me because yesterday on April the 15th, tax day, my little brother Luke turned 32. That's right, he's a tax baby. And normally, me talking to you on April 16th, you'd be out of luck if you didn't know that this was tax season already, but you have a reprieve this year because of a couple things. The way that it fell, you have an important number this year is April the 18th. You have until Tuesday to get your check in the mail, to get your taxes filed, to send off to the IRS, and numbers. Are important because you got to look at your numbers about your income. For a really important number for me, for this last tax year anyway, is one. That's how many exemptions I have for kids. Next year will be two because I have two kids, but she was born this year. That'll kick in again next year. But numbers are important because I have to look at what I made and what I gave and what's deductible and what do I pay and I'm going to pay what I owe. And numbers are also very important for, for us and for Jesus. You might think about some other really important numbers that Jesus talks about the 12 that he called and that he invested in. Also, when we think about this resurrection story of Jesus, the number three is really important. Jesus was crucified and he spent three days in the tomb. Another number that's really important is 40. After Jesus is resurrected on Resurrection Sunday, he spends 40 days appearing to his disciples, one or two or groups at a time. And really three becomes important again because Jesus appeared to his disciples three different times on that first Easter Sunday. Another really important number is 500. The book of Corinthians tells us that in one case, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at a time. So we know that there were a lot of people that saw Jesus resurrected. A lot of people. You know, thinking about the IRS with tax season coming up and me celebrating Luke's birthday, um, 1986, an auditor for the IRS noticed that, hey, there's, we don't, there are way too many kids that people are claiming on their taxes. So what they did, Congress passed into law in 1986 that on all subsequent years, if you claimed a dependent on your taxes, you had to provide your social security number to prove that that child existed and was yours and that they lived with you. Well, guess what happened in 1987? There were 7 million fewer kids claimed on people's taxes because that law was put into effect. Now, we had people skirting the law, well, they were cheating is what they were doing, and claiming deductions that they shouldn't have been claiming, and that's dishonest. As Christians, we should never do that in anything, on taxes or or anything else. But it's interesting that those laws are put into effect, and seven million children just disappeared. They're gone. They weren't claimed on the taxes the following year. I Man, numbers are really important for us and for our faith and for the different things um, that we believe. You know, you may feel like this time of year, depending on what, what your view on taxes are, and we're not going to talk about that, but you, you may feel like you're just getting squeezed, like the IRS, the agent's just squeezing you to death, and he's getting every last drop out of it. Or maybe you feel like the other way around. You're going to know the law, and you want to make sure you get all of your deductions. I want to pay what I owe, but I don't want to pay any more. that right? I don't, I don't want to make sure that I'm claiming everything that I can, that I make sure that I'm paying a right and appropriate and a fair amount. Or maybe sometimes this, type, type, this time of year, you kind of feel like this. Can anybody tell what this is? Man, if Guinness had a world record, I think I would be at the very top of it. What this is, is this is what's left of a a tube of toothpaste, okay? It's all scrunched up and balled up as small as you could possibly get. I think I bought some new toothpaste to replace this about two months ago, but I'm like, man, I can get one more day. I can get one more day. The last day that I, and I still feel like I can get one more out of this, but the last day that I use this toothpaste tube, I put my toothpaste down on the counter, I got both hands on this thing, and I'm squeezing it onto my toothpaste, onto my toothbrush, just to get a little bit on it, man. I feel like more than anybody else in the world, I can make the most out of the last of a little bit of toothpaste. I feel like the last fraction of this just lasts forever, and it lasts longer than the whole rest of the tube did. Does anybody else feel like that? Like, I can just get a little bit more out of it. One of the things that no matter how hard I tried, it'd be really hard to open this thing up and to fill it back up. Yeah, I could unwind it, and if I showed it to you like this, and I said, what is this? Well, it could be a couple different things. You can tell generally what it is. It's toothpaste. But man, it'd be really hard to try to put it back in. Maybe not just hard. It'd be pretty impossible. It'd make a really big mess. Maybe sometimes in life you feel like you're so squeezed, you're so stressed. You've been, just everything that you have has been exerted. You're wiped out emotionally. You don't have anything left. Your family concerns you, you love them, but you're busy with school and work and kids and the house and everything else that you've got to do. And you just feel like you've just been squeezed like that lemon and you don't have anything left. Or maybe you're going, well, maybe I just can get through one more day. Or maybe I can get one more brushing out of this, then I don't have to use the toothpaste, the new one that I bought. See, for me, it kind of became a game. I'm like, well, how much more, how much longer can I use this? What I feel like happens so often in life is that we just feel like we've been crushed. We feel like the world around us can be caving in. And you feel like you're alone. You feel like you have nothing left to give. But what I can tell you is that with the power of God through Jesus and what he did for you and for me and for everybody, Jesus actually tells us that you can have life and have life abundantly, that you can have life to the full because too often my life looks like this. It's a mess. It's a generic brand and there's, it's all gone because I'm trying to do stuff by myself. I'm not relying on the power that God has given for me. And what's really phenomenal about Easter as we celebrate what God did for us through Jesus is that he fills us with life in ways that seem impossible. What God is able to do through his son that died for you is to love you so much and so unconditionally that what you can't help but do is to turn around and to love other people. Jesus actually went so far as to say is that they will know that you are my followers by the love that you have for one another. And he told them, he says, do you love me? Keep my commands. Jesus told us to let other people know about his great love for us for them. That the most important thing that you can do in this lifetime is to love God and to love others well. Because when Jesus was asked, when his enemies were trying to trick him about what's the most important thing that I can do? What's the top law that I can follow? And Jesus didn't answer directly the question they asked. He answered the question they should have asked. He didn't just give them one. He gave them two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And he said, the second is this. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to read one of our resurrection accounts for Jesus after he was, went to trial and that he spent three days in the tomb and he was resurrected again. The Bible tells us a couple of different places about some of the things that happened to Jesus on this first day where he appeared to some women that came to the tomb. He appeared to his disciples and he miraculously just vanished. He walked through walls. He came through doors that were locked. He did some pretty awesome stuff. That's pretty par on par for what Jesus does all the time anyway. And there's different gospel accounts about what Jesus did this Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to read from Matthew 28. You can read some others at the end of Luke and John and Mark. But for our purposes today, I'm going to read this one out of the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 28, if you want to follow along, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus said, met them, saying, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with elders and had taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes up to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The way that Matthew tells the story of Jesus ends this way in verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Stop there for a second. Why did they go to Galilee? Well, because Jesus told them to. You know, a lot of times that's a pretty simple answer in life. Well, why are we doing the things that God has called for us to do as the church? Well, hopefully the answer is, well, God told me to. The disciples went ahead to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This command that Jesus gives to his disciples on this first what would be Easter Resurrection Sunday is to go. He says, go and to make disciples. You make disciples by teaching and by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the things that I have taught you. Because we have to know with our heads, but we have to do with our hearts. We've got to turn around and we need the, the verbs that make up my life. The action that I have needs to point other people to Jesus. What we choose to do as the church and what we choose not to do as the church should be pointing other people to Jesus so, so much so that when other people ask, hey, why do you guys do that? It's say, because Jesus told me to. And you know what, honestly, guys, I've spent my whole life in church. That sounds pretty corny. It does. Well, well, Jesus told me to. It sounds like a pretty pat, like, Sunday school church answer. Well, Jesus told me to. But guess what? It could not be any more true. couldn't be any more true. What I want to be about is what my Lord commanded me to go and to do because Jesus told me to do it. And I think that very simple filter, if we ran that through our lives, what we prioritize is what was important and what was not, what we chose to do and what we let choose to not get done because we know that we're all limited in life. I want to run it through the filter of, does this fall into the mission of what, what Jesus has told me to do? Am I keeping at the forefront of my heart and of my mind what Jesus told me to do? And I think these resurrection accounts, we we focus on them a lot around Easter, and there's different ones that we can choose from. Man, it's powerful. Just sit down sometime If you want to spend some time with God and with his word, just sit down and go to the end of all the gospels and read the last couple chapters of them and read these different ways that Jesus appeared to to his followers. He appeared, and most of the time, what you find is that he said, Greetings, peace be with you. Do not be afraid because to see Jesus before you is terrifying, especially when you don't fully understand who he is and what he's trying to do. Or maybe to put it another way, when you're still trying to figure Jesus out, he can be a pretty intimidating figure. But what Jesus has always done is that he wants us to live life in community with one another, and that's what we do as the church to hold one another accountable, to help sharpen one another from scripture so that when we have questions that when we have concerns when we have doubts there are other people that we can rely on that they say hey I don't know exactly how you feel because you never know exactly how somebody else feels ever but you can say here's what I have gone through and here's what God taught me here's how I went through that season of life and here's how God ministered to my heart Here's how God enabled me to see past the pain. Here's how God enabled me to see past my world that was crumbling and falling apart and to see him for his love and his great mercy that he has. And one of the great things is that all authority has been given to Jesus, so we don't have to fight for any of it. We don't have to fight for any authority or power because it has all been given to Jesus. And he is our head, and he's the one that we are to follow in everything that we do, and everything that we say, and everything that we believe. It's about for, because of, Jesus. I like to say it this way a lot here, is that Jesus modeled his message. He showed us and he told us. It's really easy just to tell somebody how to do something, um, but it makes an awful lot more sense if somebody tells you and then shows you. Doesn't it? You can see it. You can see what they believe. You can see they really mean it. It's not just some instructions written down in a book. It's not just something that somebody says, but it's something that they're living out and that they're to help you along the way. And when we live our life that way, in light of where we live, we live on this side of Easter Sunday. We know who Jesus is. We know who the Bible says that he is. We have these accounts where Jesus appeared to hundreds of people and sometimes just a person at a time. And what we see is that Jesus gave people what they needed to believe. It's that he showed up and he gave them a chance. And Jesus went out of his way intentionally to invest in the people that were around him. I don't think Jesus was ever too busy to, and he just ignored those that came into his path. And Jesus took time to care for people and to love people. Y'all, it life. it's really easy to get focused on, hey, what I got to get done today and to f- not see who God puts right in front of me that he wants me to share my faith with them. Maybe you feel like that's the same thing is true for you because, I mean, we do things that we have to do. We've got to work. We've got to pay the bills. God created us to work. We've got to get things done. But too often what I find is that I am too consumed in what's going on in the moment, and I miss who God's putting right in front of me because I promise you that God is putting people in your life that he wants you to minister to, that God wants you to invest in other people, to invest in their faith, to help them mature, maybe to become Christians for the very first time. And you know what just about always happens in that process? They help you to grow. And oftentimes, I think what what I have to do is that when I recognize that I let an opportunity pass, I say, God, forgive me for that. But give me another chance. God, give me a chance to share other people with you. There's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to the resurrection. There's so many different stories and things that we can read. But, but numbers matter to Jesus because numbers represent people. And God wants you to invest in your family, in your circle of influence, at your work, at your friends, at people who you think are the farthest from God so that one day they can become a child of the King that they can have their blood covered by Jesus and be included as the church so that they can be a disciple who turns around and makes disciples so that relationships are saved and families are brought back together and things are restored because of the things that people believe. I mean, there's all kinds of great, awesome, powerful stories about what Jesus did in the lives of people. And what I would encourage you to do, wherever you are in your faith, is to come up with a way for you to tell your story. Think about it about if somebody says, well, why is Jesus so important? Why is he the only way? Ask somebody that you care about. If you're married, ask your spouse. Say, ask me this question, and I need to give you an answer. If you don't have a good answer, say, give me until next Tuesday, and then I'll give you an answer, and I'll come up with, or help me know what to say. Or maybe you ask your friend, or maybe you ask a coworker. Say, ask me this question, because I want to be ready to give a defense for what I believe. And it doesn't matter how much you polish it, or practice it, or try to make it perfect. Guess what? It's never going to be. But what it can be is genuine and authentic and heartfelt, and it's your story about the one true story that matters above all others, the story of Jesus and the cross and why that's important. And you can explain that in your own words to somebody else. And you know what? At least I find it helps me a lot more if I kind of prepare ahead of time. You now, what God also tells me, and this is great, he works in ways that I cannot understand, and that there are times where God will give me and give you the words to say, in spite of my unpreparedness, <laughs> Well, sometimes I like to give God a better canvas to work with, to be ready to give a defense for my faith. Uh, you may or may, may or may not have known the name Charles Colson. What he found is he was one of the guys that was in, indicted in the Watergate scandal, spent time in prison with that, and he said that the resurrection, I know that it's true and I can prove it because of Watergate. I'm going to read this together. This is what Charles Colson said. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's what Charles Colson said, that Watergate, perhaps the, what we would view as the most embarrassing, the worst moment of his life where he's indicted and goes to prison because of something that he was participated with. He would probably go on to say that that was the best thing that happened to me because it was through that that Jesus worked in his life and that he came to know Christ and he had a phenomenal impact for the kingdom and he died just a couple years ago. And he says, Watergate taught me that the resurrection is true because there's no way they could have kept this secret if they're just making it up. That's why there was Roman guards that Matthew tells us that they were paid off to save their life and to tell people that, hey, his disciples came because people are always trying to cover up the truth of Jesus. Our enemy is always trying to work to cover up the life-saving message of the gospel. And what you are called to do, and what I'm called to do as a Christian in the church, is to be ready to explain to somebody who Jesus is and what he did. You know, guys, most people come to church because they're invited by a friend or family member. Very few people come to church because they're invited by somebody who's on staff at a church. They view my friendliness when I can be friendly a time or two. I've got a few stretches in me. all oh, he's paid to do that. But where I find I have the most relational capital with people are those that just know me as Joel, that they know that I care about them and that I genuinely want what's best for them and that I can build a relationship with them and then I can look for opportunities to share my faith with them, not as a preacher or a minister, but as just somebody who loves them as Jesus loves them. What I would encourage for you to do is to look for those people in your life. They're there, I promise. They're there. Because God wants everybody to come to repentance. And he chose to use people to do that. Through God at work in us, new creations after we give our life to Jesus, we will reach the world for Jesus one person at a time, one family at a time, one community at a time. And this principle is true. We can't help everybody, but we can help one. Do for one person what you want to do for everybody, or maybe do for one person what somebody did for you. Think about those people that were most influential in your faith and pointing you to Jesus and helping you not just to accept a parent or a relative's faith, but to own it and to make it your own and be that person for somebody that God has in front of your life right now. And it's because God put that challenge before us, that he made this statement to Peter in, earlier in Matthew in chapter 16. He said, I will build my, ro- my church upon this rock and the gates of Haiti will not prevail against it. Because guess what, y'all? The church wins. God wins. He always wins. And it wants us to come along with him and to bring as many people as possible. Think about how you're going to share the love of Jesus with those that you come in contact with today and this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so deeply. And you love us even deeper than we can fathom or understand. God, thank you for how you work in us, how you fill us with your spirit, how you give us opportunities to love on our families and to spend time together and to form those relationships. God, that we can model Jesus for our kids and for our grandkids and our parents and our cousins, our aunts, and everybody we come in contact with. God, draw our minds and our words to Jesus. God, may we look with a fury for an opportunity to bring up our faith in a way that people will know that we are genuine and that we care and that it's true. God, may we never be so scared to think, well, what if somebody doesn't accept it? Well, they're not denying us, God. They're denying you, and that's not on us. God, use us as your church. Thank you that we can celebrate together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.